Hey, Grant Nets, Pastor Rob, welcome. We are so happy to have you worshiping with us here on this beautiful day. Hey, I wanted to let you know a couple things before we get rolling. Uh, first, if you need, if this is your first time here, we would love to engage with you in that chat window that's off to the side that you would just let us know you're here. We would love to respond. If you have any prayer requests, there's a prayer request button. If you push that during our live service, one of the things that will happen is one of our hosts a group of people that are here just for you uh, will jump on and gladly take a personal prayer request if, with you if you like. Uh, if you want to send us a note or something like that, you could go to our website or our Facebook page or our Instagram and follow us there. All those buttons are up here above on your screen. Um, and also, if, if the Spirit leads you and you'd like to give, you can do that too. Thank you so much for joining us. And I also wanted to say, Happy Mother's Day. What a, what a blessing mothers are in our lives. They watch over us, they care for us, they put up with us. And for that, I am eternally grateful. Thank you for being the hands and feet of God to us. We're going to start off today with a prayer, and then uh, Nancy is going to lead us in some worship time today. And uh, we're going to hear some special, special talent offering and a lesson, and we'll close in prayer as well. And if you have anything you need, like I said with our host, just let us know. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful for your mercies and your grace. We are thankful for your presence in our lives. We are thankful for your love and for your strength. And we are thankful for your son. Lord, I pray a special blessing today upon all the mothers that are, are watching and those that are not, and those that have passed on to be with you. Thank you for the impact that they have on our lives. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Please let this time glorify you. Please let it strengthen us as we worship you in all of your glory. It's in Jesus' holy name that we pray, amen. What a wonderful day to celebrate Mother's Day, um, a time to reflect on our mothers, um, a time to be thankful and grateful for the women in our lives, our sisters, our friends, our daughters, um, even our sons, uh, as they um, are honoring their mothers today. So we take a moment and say happy Mother's Day to you um, before we get started in our, in our praise and worship of our Lord, our God, who designed mothers and designed motherhood. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for that. He keeps me singing. We're going to sing from the hymnal today a couple of, of hymns. Um, if you've got a hymnal at home, hmm. Would you have a hymn on home? It would be hymn number 488. He keeps me singing. There's within my heart a melody. Jesus whispers sweet and In all of life's ebb and flow, 
Something I remember about my mom was she was always prancing and dancing around the house, singing little quirky songs um, and and making a joy out of chores, you know, cleaning, cleaning the house or dusting the baseboards or that type of thing. She was always had a joyful song in her heart. And that was a blessing. Um, It's a reminder to us that the little things that we do in our life can be a big blessing to others. Uh, The next hymn is 452, if you have a hymnal. Make me a blessing.
blessing. Thank you for lifting your voices while you're at home or or maybe even while you're in your car as you're driving listening to this this cast. Um, thank you for praising um, our sovereign goodness of our Lord Jesus Christ through your voices. But now's the time that um, we ask that you lift your hands and open your hands and hearts um, for this time of offering. We here at Gretna call this our talent offering. Um, for one thing, because God has given each of us an ability or a talent, if you will, uh, to enjoy a sense of purpose while we're here on this earth. And that might include working for a living or serving in your community or providing for a loved one. And yes, even the fine arts. Um, these are all abilities that are bestowed on us from our good God. So let us bless the Father through our giving. Won't you bow with me? You have bestowed so much blessing upon us. But for us to request that you make us a blessing can mean just getting up and going to work every morning or putting on that face mask and going to the grocery store for someone else or tuning in and finalizing our studies online or singing or playing the piano or being a blessing to someone else in some way. Father, this is the time that we set aside each and every Sunday gathering uh, to give back a portion to you, but also to allow someone to uh, give a talent, give an offering of sacrifice of praise to you. And for that, we thank um, Allie Culp for coming and doing that with us today. May you be praised in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen. There's nothing worth more 
talk to you about a little company that uh, I affectionately call Amazon. And yes, I realize the irony, it is not a little company. But Amazon and I have a bit of a relationship. Uh, We've been members, prime members, since 2011. And it has been actually really wonderful and convenient to be able to order just about anything I want, right? and get it in two days or less as a Prime member. And that's a, that's a relationship that's it's transactional in nature, right? We invest a certain amount of dollars in that membership every year, and then we invest in, in purchasing an item. But we do it knowing, predictably at least, what we're going to get in return. We know we're going to get the item we asked for. We know if we have challenges or difficulties with that item that we can send it back and there won't be any fights or, or any any arguments over it. They simply take it back, refund the money, and off we go. We know that we will see it within two days, right? Because we have Prime, and we always pick those items that are, that are Amazon Prime available, and it, and it gets there. But in, in the last couple of, of weeks, uh, my relationship with, with Amazon has been under strain because they are no longer providing the level of service that I'm accustomed to. And I say that knowing firmly that it, that it is not their fault. It is what it is. It is just like the rest of us. Uh, they are battling and trying to learn, learn what this new normal looks like and feels like in the midst of COVID. And so take whatever I say about them with, with that understanding. I know it is what it is. But it does change kind of the way I look at Amazon. Because once that piece of what I really valued with them, which was predictability and consistency, is no longer available, now I'm looking around and going, well, what can I find on eBay instead of Amazon? Is the price better? Or what can I find on Craigslist or Reverb if you're looking at musical instruments or or any one of a number of things that I've tried to say, okay, what are my other avenues? All because... My agreement with Amazon, my agreement, I say, right? They own me. It's okay. My agreement with Amazon is no longer what it was. That transactional relationship is kind of, it's off kilter. It's different than what it was. Transactional relationships are, are part of our life. It's, it's that, that thing where you invest something expecting something else predictable in return. A job would be a great example of that, where we hope and pray that if we, if we put in a fair effort, we expect fair compensation or a fair training or fair growth opportunities. We expect that to happen in return. Now, this, I don't want this to turn into a treatise over whether or not we get paid fairly for the work we do, right? But as a general rule, that's what we hope for. We hope that as we invest that investment is returned to us in some way. That's the transaction. That's the nature of that relationship. 
we have that same feeling, that same kind of transactional relationship when we go to buy things at Walmart, right? We go in there with a certain set of expectations. They're going to have what we're looking for in some way, shape, or form. They're going to have a reasonable price for it. We're going to pay it, and that transaction, we're going to get what we're looking for out of it. And there's a comfort in that. There's a comfort in a, in a transactional relationship because it's predictable, right? It's predictable, and it's, it's given, and you, you have some idea that what you're giving will result in you getting something of equal or greater value to you. You're making a trade. And deep down, I really think that we, in many ways, hope that the entire world around us functions in kind of a transactional relationship. Now, we, m- we might call that fairness, right? We hope the world is a fair place where um, if I invest uh, my time and energy into someone, that will be returned to me. If I put in hard work and effort into my career, that that will come back to me as I expect, right? That transaction, we hope that that will occur. We hope that if we take care of our mind and body, that we will live a long and healthy life. That's kind of the, we're hoping that that transaction will go through. And we might call that fairness. We might call that uh, karma, right? Or as, as the Bible says, we, might, we hope that we will reap what we have sown. And as a general extent, I think that's true. I think it is. I think that um, we generally reap what we sow. Generally, bank robbers, will, after they rob enough banks, they will eventually, generally, they will get caught. Generally, if I treat others with courtesy and honesty and respect, that courtesy, honesty, and respect is returned to me. That's generally the way it works. Not always, but most of the time. I also do believe that if, we're, if we are dramatic people, that we are sowing dramatic seeds, we will reap dramatic lives. I I really believe that, that many of the people that I've met over the years that say that their life is filled with drama, can I tell you really honestly, are usually the source of that drama. They are sowing the seeds and it's coming back to them. And wouldn't it be nice if this wasn't just a general truth, but an absolute? What if we always reaped what we sowed? What if we always had a fair transaction with life and the people in our lives and the events in our lives and the the supplies or substances or, or purchases in our lives? What if everything was truly transactional in our lives? In some ways, I think we would like that. I think we would like that because we like comfort. We like predictability. We like knowing that we will get what we've paid for. We know, we like knowing that we will reap what we've sown, but we do so assuming that we're always sowing the right seeds. Now, I'm going to tell you something that I think is is mind-blowing for most of us. Well, probably not. Um, The world is not that. The world is not fair. The world is not always just Uh, Karma doesn't always work, and we do not always reap what we sow. We see 
people historically who have clearly lived lives that are not in connection with God or that are some that are inherently evil, they still prosper. Uh, the name Jeffrey Epstein comes to mind, right? He came, just came to a, a rather abrupt and unfortunate end, and one might say that was reaping what he sowed, but the fact is he got to live the high life for decades, most of his life. And we see that, and we see that injustice, and, we, and, and some of us go, how is that fair? It's not. Uh, it's not fair because the world isn't fair. <laughs> and something I try to teach my kids, um, because we have this inherent hope that it is, and we sometimes get very, very upset when it's not. Uh, but at its core, we know. We know that it isn't. We know that bad things happen to good people. And it's kind of that universal question, why? Why is it unfair? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do people suffer? There's no need for that. That's not fair. That's not right. They didn't do anything to anybody. All they've sown is seeds of, of love or just happened to be raised in a certain part of the world. And as a result, they're, they're stuck in poverty or they're, they're stuck in a, in, in a lifestyle that is that is hurtful and harmful and horrible and you're going that is not fair that doesn't make any sense and you're right it doesn't make any sense when bad things happen to good people or when bad things happen in in a way that's not easily discernible right you can't tell why it's happening or or give a good reason why it should be happening to somebody it, it can even question the way, even as followers of Christ, the, the way we see God. The psalmist says in Psalm 10, 1, it says, Why, Lord, why do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble as, as he's preparing to face his enemies and wondering, why? God, I follow you. I do everything you need me to do. And it's still, why are these enemies pressing against me? Why are people trying to kill me? Why? Why? I don't understand, Right? That's, that's not fair. That doesn't make sense. I'm doing everything you asked me to do. Tim Keller says one of the, the biggest challenges with that is this. He says, when pain and suffering come upon us, we finally see that we are not in control of our lives and that we never were. We, have a, we like to believe that the world is fair. And sometimes we delude ourselves into believing the world is fair, and then we get upset when it's not. And maybe the part that makes us most angry is that it breaks our delusion, right? It breaks that image we've created of ourselves or of the world, that the world can be fair, that if I put in everything I need to put in, life will go good. If I follow the Lord directly, then I will be protected, or that people, I will not be, I will not suffer, I will not be in pain. I will not be in anguish. And things will go the way they should. It's a transactional view of our relationship with God, this idea that as long as we do what God has us called to do, that we will never be subject to the horrible, broken things of this world. And deep down in our heart of hearts, we know that that's not true. And yet we struggle. 
when we find ourselves personally suffering, when we find ourselves personally in a place where things aren't what we believe they should be. And I think that's appropriate, especially now, right? When we're in the midst of this COVID challenge where, where people are feeling scared and concerned and confused and angry and discombobulated. And some are, are, are suffering. I think it's appropriate that we spend a few minutes in the book of Job. And if you don't know anything about the story of Job, Job is all about that. Even all about a man who had everything and lost it all. God even refers to Job in Job chapter 1 verse 8. He says, no one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil, right? If there's anybody that could live the life that God is calling them to and expect a transaction of you will then give me a good life, it would be probably Job. And yet, as we go through Job's story, we find out that's not the case. As we go through Job's story, we're going to do an overview of it today as we look at suffering, we look at the lack of fairness in this world or perceived fairness, and try to help, let the, the story of Job help correct some of the ways we look at suffering, some of the ways we look at difficulty, and some of the ways we look at our relationship with God. The story is, is there are several characters in the story. The first is obviously Job, a man of wealth, a man of, uh, with a, a large family and grand possessions, a man who clearly follows all of the Lord's guidance and attributes, does what God has called him to do in all things, just as that scripture just said. He's a man of perfect integrity and always turns away from evil. And we're going to see in a second tragedy happened to him and then he's met by three very well-meaning but misguided friends Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar they come to his aid and they sit with him and they talk with him and they try to help him understand what's going on in his life and why because who wouldn't right who wouldn't want to understand when things go horribly wrong why we want to know why we want to make sense of it and they give him some interesting advice that on the surface could sound really, really good, but at the end of the day is not. And then we will meet a young man named Elihu who will act as an intermediary or a mediator that is, is clearly beginning to define for Job God's approach instead. And then finally, we will meet God. So if you would... Let's turn your Bibles to Job chapter 1. We're going to pick up in verse 13. As I've said, Job was a man of wealth. Job was a man of integrity. Job was a man who followed the Lord. But, but in the midst of all his highs of highs, right, in this material world, this material life, it had to have felt transactional for him because he is giving God everything and getting everything from him, right? Something bad really happens. Satan attacks him. And the truth is God allows it. God allows Satan to attack Job, and here's what happens to his life. 
says in verse 13, One day, when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine at their eldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and reported, While the oxen were plowing, the donkeys grazing nearby, the Sabaeans swooped down and took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported God's fire fell from heaven. It burned the sheep and the servants and devoured them, and I alone escaped to tell you. That messenger was still speaking when yet another came and reported the Chaldeans formed three bands, made a raid on the camels and took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword and I am alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger came and reported, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking with their oldest brother's house, at their oldest brother's house. Suddenly, a powerful wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on the young people so that they died, and I alone have escaped to tell you. In the matter of five minutes or less, right? Job went from having everything to having nothing. His life has been flipped upside down. And he's got to be, he has got to be wondering, why? Why? And and the the truth is, I, I don't think any of us have probably ever gone through everything Job has, but we have all suffered in some way, shape, or form where things suddenly change. Maybe, maybe we lose a family member or multiple family members that we love very much in a tragic accident or, or to an unexpected illness. Maybe, maybe we've lost our jobs and found ourselves in a financial state where we, could, we can't take care of our, our family, we can't keep our home, we can't, do, we can't, we can't survive. Or maybe we've unlike Job, maybe we've made decisions that have led to our entire lives crashing down around us. And it's, it's those times when we cry out to God, we cry out to him as his people and we say, why God, why is this happening to me? I, 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 save me. We cry out to him and say, save me, save me. And Job is doing the same thing. He's wondering why this is going on. What has he done to deserve this? And the answer is nothing. He's done nothing to deserve this. And I know, I know we've all felt that way. I know we've all felt like we've done nothing to deserve the situation we are in. Why? I didn't do anything to anybody. Why am I here Why am I suffering in this time and this place? It doesn't make sense. I didn't sow these seeds. Why am I reaping this? The the short answer is because we live in a broken and fallen world. It is not fair. And it quite often in its chaos operates with no rhyme or reason. In the midst of that suffering, 
in the midst of that difficulty. Because, by the way, the Bible doesn't say that ever that following the Lord will keep you from ever experiencing suffering. It doesn't say that. What it says is that the Lord, as he says in 1 Corinthians, will give us comfort in our affliction, in the midst of our challenges and our difficulties. So what is the advice that Job's three close friends give him that sounds good on the surface, but that, that isn't? The first is this, Eliphaz, the first of his friends, essentially tells him that karma is a good thing, or that karma is a real thing. He says in Job 4, 7, and 8, says, Consider who has perished who, when he was innocent. Where have the honest been destroyed? In my experience, those who plow injustice and those who sow sow trouble reap the same. We reap what we sow. If we are a good person, good things happen. If we are a bad person, bad things happen. Karma, right? Kurt Cobain calls karma this. He says, if you're really a mean person, you're going to come back as a fly and eat poop. At the end of the day, we believe, we want to believe, I think, that karma is is real. It's a thing that you get what you pay for. If you are evil to others, evil will be returned to you. If you are good to others, good will be returned to you, and your, your life will turn out in accordance with how you've acted before. It's as though there's somebody up there with a huge spreadsheet kind of keep, keeping track of checks and balances, goods and bads, right? And that the scales of, of justice, so to say, will be balanced and will work out and will, will, will work out exa- exactly as they should. And we want that to be true. We want that to be true because it, it validates our sense of justice, right? The idea that things are just, that the world is at its core a just place and I will receive justice, We want that to be true because it validates our sense of control over our situation. We want that to be true because it provides us with a sense of certainty. But the fact is, it's not. Karma is a lie. There are wonderful, incredible people who will become ill for no good reason. There are wonderful, incredible people that love the Lord and pursue him that will lose their job through no fault of their own. There are, unlike Eliphaz says, there are people that are sitting in prisons right now that have done nothing to deserve what they've gotten. Because at the end of the day, we live in a broken world. It is not fair. Do we do our best? I hope, I hope so. I think most of us do do our best to walk in an upright way, as the Bible might say, to walk as God would have us walk, to be the people God is calling us to be to the best of our ability. But at the end of the day, we are, we are flawed and we are broken. And yes, sometimes, and actually, as I said before, as a general rule, we do reap what we sow. We can very much be the cause of our own difficulties and our own demise and our own problems. If we choose to take drugs a ton, it's probably gonna mess up our worlds. If we choose to have many, many partners in our sex lives throughout throughout our lifetime, it will divide us into tiny little pieces and make us really almost incapable of having a deep and loving relationship. It's very hard to do. 
and we are subject to some of those decisions that we've made, yes, but oftentimes bad things just happen. And so many people I have seen beat themselves up wondering why, why is this happening to me and blaming themselves and saying, you know, I must have done something to get myself fired. I must have done something to make my spouse cheat on me because guess what, that happens. And sometimes when it does, it's because of nothing you did. It is not always your fault. And in some ways, that is, that is a weight that can be lifted off your soul. But, but in others, it causes us to go, well, then how do I make sure my life goes perfectly? Short answer, you can't. You can't. In fact, certainty, control, is really also a lie. Influence is true. You can influence the direction your life takes. You can influence others around you. You cannot control your life. You cannot control others around you. It's an illusion. It's an illusion that karma feeds, the idea that you can predictably determine which way your life is going to go. And you can't. You can influence it. You cannot control it. Job, through Eliphaz, the book of Job, tells us that the believer in God, the believer tells the believer in God that they have grounds for facing the mystery of suffering with a courage based on faith in the essential righteousness of God. It helps us understand if we are really following the Lord, we are able to see clearly that we are righteous in him and through him regardless of the scenario we are in, regardless of our situation. Because the reality is, if karma is real, if we really do reap what we sow, none of us are nearly as good as we think we are. As Paul says in the book of Romans, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Ain't none of us perfect. Except maybe my wife. My wife is, I'm kidding. She's not perfect. But don't tell her I said that. The reality is that that we should be happy that karma isn't a real thing because it's what allows us who are imperfect to to experience the grace of God. If karma were real, if this was really a just world all the way across the board, we would all be pickled. And, and holding on to that idea, holding on to that idea can lead to feelings of guilt and can lead to places where you beat the daylights out of yourself thinking, I have failed, it is all my fault. It is not all your fault. Chances are, if you've gotten cancer, it is not your fault. Could you have done some things differently to influence it? Maybe. Could you have controlled it? No. If, you, if your loved ones get into a car accident through a set of circumstances, could they have influenced it? Maybe. Could they have controlled it? 
unless you're going to control every driver on the road, probably not. If you lose your job through something you didn't do, right, there's no fault of your own. I have totally been there. I've lost my job because the company on the whole was filing bankruptcy. Those are decisions made way above my pay grade, and yet I'm left going, what did I do, right? What did I do wrong? What, did I, what mistake did I make? How, do, how could I have controlled this so it would go differently? None of it was true. And it's only by the grace of God that you can find relief from that remembering that we are all fallen short and that we all need his grace. And if karma were real, we would be pickled. This suffering that we can sometimes feel in the midst of our difficult times, this anger, this frustration, this lack of certainty, um, it can remind us and should remind us that the, the cosmos operates on a hidden order. We, don't, we cannot control everything and anything around us. And if, if ne- we learn nothing else from COVID, it should be that. It should be that we cannot control others. We cannot control what goes on with every person in the world around us as much as we might want to. And I hope we will learn not to let it dissuade us from being the people that God wants us to be. Don't let that anger drive you crazy. Don't let the difficulty of this situation drive us crazy because we know who is on the throne, right? We know it is his righteousness that will carry us even in the midst of our suffering. It is a world that we cannot completely understand we cannot completely grasp and we certainly can't can't manipulate and it's god's grace that carries us through i was talking to somebody earlier today about how prior to covid prior to us being locked up in each other's in our own in our own homes with our families that life was so busy, it was dragging us all over the place, had to go to this practice or this game or this appointment or that appointment and all, all of these things, it was driving us crazy and it really felt really hard at times, I'm sure, to keep control of all that chaos in our lives and now we're home together. And, and I would say as, as hurtful as this time can be, right, where you feel out of place, and you feel like you're not able to do the things you want to do, and you feel like things aren't fair, and you don't understand why we're going through all of this, that you take the time to say maybe, just maybe, that God is allowing this to happen as he allowed it to happen to Job so that you might more clearly see him so that we as a country might more clearly see him so that we as a world might more clearly see him and what he desires for us. The next friend of his is Bildad. Bildad's misconception is that God is obligated to keep us from suffering. He says in Job 8, 5, and 6, it says, if you earnestly seek God and ask the Almighty for mercy, if you are pure and if you are upright, then, the emphasis there, the wording there is have to, then he will have to move even now on your behalf and restore the home where your righteousness dwells. 
if you do exactly as God wants you to do, he has to fix everything for you. He has to reduce your suffering, right? It's back to that transactional relationship, that idea that, that if I give Amazon my money, they will give me back exactly what I'm expecting in return. And so, it, in, out of desperation to avoid pain and avoid agony and avoid suffering and avoid difficulty, isn't it interesting how then in our most difficult times, we kind of immediately go, okay, God, what can I do to fix this? How many boxes can I check, right? How many, if you're Catholic, how many Hail Marys would you have to say to make this right, right? How much penance will I have to pay? How much will I have to pray? If I pray 15 minutes a day, will that fix that? If I read scripture every day, one chapter of the Bible, if I commit to do that, will it fix that? If I commit to stop cussing, will it fix that? What can I do to fix that? Because if I do all those things, you have to, God. You have to fix that for me, right? No, (laughs) he doesn't. He does not have to fix your suffering. But one of the things that Job had to find out the hard way is that suffering isn't the end of the world. In fact, it's not even the end of Job, and it certainly isn't the end of us. Suffering can be used for wonderful things in God's kingdom. You know, I... I may get yelled at for this, but I I really do believe that we have in the United States, in the church especially, in the Western church, been lulled into a sense of safety and complacency. Honestly, uh, for all the complaining we do about um, Christian rights and things, the fact is it's pretty easy to be a Christian in our world here in the United States. It's not gonna get us killed. It's probably not gonna get us stoned or thrown in jail. It's pretty easy. There's not a lot of suffering connected to it. And over the years, I've asked myself, do I, do I just come to church and and sit in the pew and take communion and say prayers and sing songs and read the Bible all so I can avoid that suffering? Am I, am I trying to say, God, as long as I do all of these things, you have to make sure that I remain comfortable, that I don't have to suffer in my person or especially not for my faith. The thing is, though, that it is in times of suffering that the church and the kingdom of God have exploded in this world. Christians were persecuted for what they believed for following the Lord right out of the gate. And story after story of what we read in the New Testament is the church growing, the church digging in deep into the things of God and leaning into one another deeply into their relationships, right? And helping one another grow in God. And Paul 
challenging them to the next step, the next stage in their life as Christians and saying, we can do these great things all in the midst of this trouble, all in the midst where you are, you are profoundly the minority, you are profoundly not considered to be great parts of our society. In fact, you're really a pain. You're weirdos compared to the rest of the society. I have to tell you, I have never grown up in that world. And I would, I would venture to say that none of us listening to this message especially if you were born and raised in the United States, has ever grown up in that world. We have all been very, very blessed and very fortunate to have been provided for. But it's not because we've earned it. Right? God will have favor on who he has favor on and he will have mercy upon whom he has mercy. We can lull ourselves into a sense that we have somehow earned God's favor, that we have somehow done something to force him to have to follow through with keeping us safe and keeping us comfortable. And nothing could be further from the truth. I do think that this is an opportunity for us as the people of God to look at the uncertainty that we're dealing with and the suffering that some of us are going through and the anger that we're feeling and the the challenge that we're experiencing and to ask ourselves, what can I do differently that God might be calling me to? How, and in this new normal, can I begin to see the way I express my faith differently. Yes, gathering together on Sunday morning is a huge part of what it means to be the body of Christ, right? His gathering period has been, always been part of what it means to be the church, but they didn't just gather on Sundays. They gathered in each other's homes on a daily basis. There's 168 hours in a week, 168 hours in a week. And sometimes I think we, especially in the American Western church, have relegated our faith to one hour on Sundays. And my prayer and my hope is that at least something that comes out of this difficulty is for us to break out of that, to break out of that cycle, to break out of that sense of, for lack of a better term, entitlement, that if we follow the Lord, he will take care of us and we will not have our feathers ruffled. I don't think that's true. In fact, I think we have abdicated our role as the body of Christ in this country for a long time. But it's gonna take a willingness, honestly, to face suffering, to face the difficulties, to face the challenges, and to remember that we cannot manipulate our God And that everything he sets forth, everything he plans, everything he puts in front of us is about helping us grow in him and helping the world come to know him. The last of his friends is Zophar. Zophar. Zophar really believes that God can be manipulated. That by... He will, that God essentially will do as much for you as you do for him. The better you are at being 
a Christian. The better you are, the more you read your Bible, the more you pray, the more you show up for church functions, the more you give in a tithe. You can, the idea that you can earn favor with God and that it is transactional, it's commensurate with the favor he gives you. Say it with me now. That is a lie. That is a bold-faced lie. You know, you all said it. It ain't true. See, my commitment to God, and, and I hope everybody's commitment to God, I hope is pure enough. I hope mine is pure enough to say, I am following you and doing what you're asking me to do, not because of what else I can get out of you, but because of what you've already done for me. The notion that you would send your son to die for me. Talk about, talk about making an investment in a relationship that we could not possibly return the value of. It is a lopsided transaction all the way. God has given everything and we're trying to give a little bit back to him. Can you imagine that? The audacity of thinking that we can earn, somehow earn greater favor from him. It is mind-boggling. I, but, and yet, if I'm being honest, there have been times in my journey where I have felt that way, where things are not going right, or I'm struggling, or I'm hurting, and I'm going, okay, if I just try to negotiate with God here, right, and give him a little more, he'll give me a little more and give me some relief. And I'm sure God is just sitting there just going, dude, that is not how this works. That is not how this works because you can't possibly pay me back what I have given for you. Our job and our honor is instead to give toward God because he loves us and because we love him. And out of a sense of gratitude for a debt that we cannot repay, we cannot make it right. And the truth is, this unjust suffering that we might feel moves us beyond seeing God that way, right? It removes it. The quote I have here is, unjust suffering moves us beyond this quid pro quo relationship with God. You do for me and I do for you, right? And onto one of grace in surrender to him. God's strength is shown in our weakness. God's light is shown in our darkness. If we are never weak and it is never dark, we have a lot of difficulty seeing him. And though our, our difficulties right now feel hard, they are relative. They are relative. I was talking to somebody today about um, whether or not anyone in our, our body of believers has contacted us and said, hey, I have a financial need, right, because of this. I don't have a job. I don't have food. I don't have clothing. I don't have shelter. I need help. Can you help me? And we're ready, ready and willing to do that. But nobody has. Nobody has. And I think for, for all the concerns we have about not being able to go out to restaurants and not being able to uh, 
be at Walmart without a mask on, right? And not being able to go back to work except in certain situations and having to take extra steps to keep the place clean or, or keep our social distancing up. All these things that the, the government's asking us to do that drives us crazy. Relatively speaking, not suffering. We are actually still in the midst of all of this turmoil, doing okay. And it's, it's those of us who have genuinely suffered, and I don't claim to be that among those, but it's those of us who have genuinely suffered in our lives, genuinely lived through pain and agony beyond what most of us in this country have ever experienced. It's those people that are able to keep this in perspective and, and those people that give me some of the best advice about making sure that I don't make more out of something than it really is, that I don't let this get me down, that I try to remember how blessed we are, how secure I am even if things are uncertain. Because it'd be really easy for me to wallow in this as I, as I speak today. It's literally just me and Gregory in here. And I love you, Gregory. But it's just us. And it would be really easy for me to get depressed. It'd be really easy for me to get upset. And I have my moments. I do. I have my moments where I look in here and I, I rattle through this empty building and I go, I wish it could go back to what it was. there are two things I know. One, um, life moves forward. It rarely moves backward. And also, that whatever I'm feeling right now, an empty church building, though it is painful, and though I am excited and rejoiced at the day when we can be back together in the same room. I know compared to, this, to genuine suffering, it's really not something that needs to upset me. Because I have a gracious God who is still with me, who is still watching over me, who is still caring for me in the midst of this, who is still providing who is still nurturing my soul and who still promised me an eternity with him. That is the God we serve. As we end, get into the end of our, our time today, we meet Elihu. Elihu, by the way, is the only name in all of the book of Job that is Hebrew in its, in its background. And it means he is my God. So it's not surprising that he comes in at the end to be this person who says, look. And he tells them, he tells Job, he says, look, I've been listening to you and your friends complain about everything that's wrong with your, with your world and everything that you've done wrong or could have done wrong. And they've tried to give you all of these reasons why you've fallen short of the glory of God and why things have gone badly. And, and you know what? If you're done talking, I would just like to tell you a few things. 
I would, he's the only person in the text that we see a genealogy for that ties him back to the promises of Abraham, right? That ties him back to that commitment that God made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and again in 15 where he said, look, I am with you. I will walk with you. I will be with you. I will number your descendants among the stars. Just follow me and your eternity Your eternal footprint is secured. I've got you. I've got you covered. It is okay. Even in the midst of all this suffering and all this challenging, it's okay. I've got you. And he launches into the speech in Job 37, 1 through 13. I'm going to read all 13 verses. Every preaching teacher I've ever said said, don't read that many verses. I'm going to do it because I want you to hear I want you to hear this man who is clearly communicating the desires of God in our story here, clearly communicating it. He is, God has sent him here to speak to Job and his friends, to correct them, to help them understand. I want you to hear the passion this man has, and I want you to hear his explanations for why suffering might occur. He says, my heart pounds. My heart pounds at this and it leaps in my chest. He's talking about the coming of God, God returning and and renewing. He says, just listen to his thunderous voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. He lets it loose beneath the entire sky, his lightning to the ends of the earth. Then there comes a roaring sound and God thunders with his majestic voice. He does not restrain the lightning when his rumbling voice is heard. God thunders wondrously with his voice. Voice. He does great things that we cannot comprehend. For he says to the snow, fall to the earth. And the torrential rains, his mighty torrential rains, serve as a sign to all mankind so that all men may know his work. The wild animals enter their lairs and they stay in their dens. The windstorms come The windstorm comes from its chamber and the cold from the driving north winds. Ice is formed by the breath of God and watery expanses are frozen. He saturates clouds with moisture. He scatters lightning through them and they swirl about, turning around and around in his direction. They swirl about, accomplishing everything he commands over, over the surface of the inhabited world. And he causes this to happen. Ready for this? For punishment, for land, and for his faithful love. I think when we ask why bad things happen, we make the mistake of assuming that bad things happen always for bad reasons. And we also assume that we summarily understand what right and wrong is, what good and what is good and bad for us. As the Proverbs say, uh, no one finds discipline to be comfortable, right? God could allow suffering to happen so that we here as his body of believers here in, in, at Gretna and in Logan County and in Ohio and in the United States and in most of the Western world Remember who we are called to be in him. He could let it happen for that reason. He let it happen to Job so that Job's faith could be tested. Because you never really know who you are or what you stand for until you've been pushed a little bit. 
And that is Job's greatest triumph in, the book, in, his, in this book. Is him persevering through all of it. Is him having his faith tested and having all kinds of excuses and, and reasons for why bad things happen flung at him, experiencing the worst things that I think any of us could ever possibly imagine and experiencing it all in a matter of five minutes, right? Losing everything. Hearing his friends give him horribly bad advice and guide him down horribly bad paths. And still, still, though he is suffering, though he is angry, because there are moments in, this, in the book of Job where Job is not a happy camper. And Job himself even says, why? Why is this happening? But when it's all said and done, when it's all over, he comes back to the Lord and says, Lord, you are right. You are the creator of thunder and the rain. You are the creator of the earth. You have been here since the very dawn of time and you are in charge. And what is going on in and around me, I cannot control and I cannot discern. And yes, sometimes things are gonna go badly and I'm going to be hurting and it's gonna be a horrible, horrible feeling and I do not want it. But you know what? At the end of the day, I know that you are greater than all of those things. That even in the midst of my suffering, it might be so that I might learn something. It might be so that somebody I touch might learn something. It might be to restore his land and his church to what it's supposed to be. And believe it or not, it might be because he loves us. I know that's hard, but if you've ever had kids, right, and you tell them, you grab them when they start to run out in the street in front of a car, you grab them and you yell at them and you go, don't ever do that again. It doesn't feel good to that kid, but you're doing it because you love them. Sometimes I don't think we give God enough credit for that in our lives. He would allow things to happen, not because he hates us, but because he loves us, because he knows what we need more than we know what we need. And because he desires for us to become reflections of him, righteous, filled with perfect integrity, right? As Job was described to be at the beginning. Is my hope and prayer that we can look for that in the midst of this turmoil and that we can experience it. As we close today, um, before I pray, I just wanted to let you know, um, we are working on over the next few weeks and you're going to see um an article in the newsletter from our moderator that's our our lay leader in the church and you're going to hear some things from me and, and the other members of the leadership team and your ministry leaders as we start to consider what i guess the big word is reopening what reopening looks like for us and i can tell you that it will probably look and feel a little different than it did before we closed. Although, for the record, I don't think we closed. I just think we shifted venues. I'm just saying, because God don't close. 
But we want to be able to gather together. We are planning for that. Look for information. Watch for that. Um, and yeah, I want to see everybody's smiling face. Or if you want to come in and throw things at me because you're mad at me, that's okay too. I'll still be happy to see you because um, I love you and I miss you. And I'm, I pray that uh, we are stronger for having endured this time than when we went in. Let's close in prayer. Father God, you are the author of our salvation. You are the source of our strength. Lord, when things are not right, when they seem broken or unfair or unjust or when it feels like we are suffering, it is really difficult at times for us to see you in the midst of it. We try very hard to search for something that validates it or justifies it and says, okay, well, that makes sense. But at the end of the day, your ways are greater than our ways. Your creation as a whole is greater than we can possibly completely grasp or understand. And there are things going on behind the scenes that we could never possibly know. But we as your people... As hard as it is sometimes, we must operate with the confidence that whatever is going on, you are still there. That your righteousness carries us. That the sacrifice of your son saves us. And that you are present whispering in our ears or thundering in a great voice as Elihu said, Reminding us that you are there. Reminding us that you are letting us know what we can learn and glean in the midst of it. How can we be a witness for you in the midst of it? And how we can come out the other side with our faith, not questioned, but stronger. Lord God, we love you. We thank you. May we have the courage and the faith to trust you. It is in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen. See you next week.